0: Hello there. Science fiction is an existential metaphor. It allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Isaac Asimov once said, individual science fiction stories may seem as trivial as ever to the blinder critics and philosophers of today. But the core of science fiction, its essence has become crucial to our salvation. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog.
1: And good evening. I am
0: Miles B. McLaughlin. Miles, it has been a heck of a long time since it's just been you and I in a show. We brought a bunch of other people into the diner, and so it's kind of like old times here.
1: It is you and I, just you and I just uh, running things right now.
0: Well, you know, and I remember there were many uh, shore leaves. I know that we have sat down with the man that we're going to talk to tonight. That it was just you and I sitting down initially with this man. Uh, he's been on the show before, but why don't you go ahead and give him an introduction?
1: Sure. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, before we got live-action Trek in the form of Star Trek Discovery, if you want a new Star Trek, the best way to get it was from the literary universe for many of its great authors, like our special guest tonight, Mr. David Mack. Mr. Mack has not only penned many great Star Trek novels, which I am a fan of, but he has written for comic books, games, contributed to some of the scripts for Star Trek D-Space Nine when it was on the air, and there's also his original work. Back in June of 2022, the International Association of Media Tie-In Writers honored him as a Grandmaster with its Faust Award. Tonight we talk about Mr. Mack's work and his upcoming uh, original series, uh, Star, Star Trek novel, uh, Harm's Way, which I have pre-ordered and I am looking forward to. Mr. Mack, welcome and thank you for taking time to talk with us on the Sci-Fi Diner podcast.
2: Thank you for having me back on, gentlemen. That's all right, uh, Dayton and I. You know, we, we sometimes joke we share a brain. People often inflate his work and mine, and a lot of that I think, goes back to our collaboration on the Star Trek Vanguard novels, and yeah, the fact great. that he and I again you
0: collaborated yeah. on the exciting fall to see some uh, Star new Star Trek coming and down hired and to the Pike and see some more Star tour. Trek coming from you, Dayton. And then we worked uh, together I just you on the Coda
2: miniseries. So basically, where you tend to find Dayton. You usually find me. Where you find me, you tend to find Dayton. Something (laughs) like, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah he's a he's a big apes fan i'll tell you no, he goes Ape like for a apes. bad
0: penny right uh, <laughs> yeah well you know uh, i think the reason i brought it up because we were just talking pre-show here about how what star trek books are no coming worries, down the pike no and worries. he has one we talked to him uh, to a few weeks ago one about one planet of, of guys, the apes so we I'm re- doing a review of the book. original movie Andrew planet of said. the apes which he's absolutely uh gaga over and um yeah yeah. So, uh, and, and he was talking about the Star Trek book that he's coming down the pike, and then you mentioned as far them, like, as I, oh, I know,
2: after mine, which
0: so, comes, sorry about that, uh, on December 13th of this year. <laughs> no worries. The next one All I right, think come down the pike is in February. That's from John <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and that's and, be the and high just uh, before we leap into the Star questions, Trek you were mentioning pre-show the just so our listeners know that uh, we only have a few Star Trek, Trek books that we know and of and that out are actually coming as down. Well as well as in digital audio book and
2: uh, e formats. And then I believe in either April or May, I can't remember which, uh, Dayton has a discovery novel. That's coming up, which sounds very exciting. But beyond that, uh, if there are other Star Trek books in the works, they are a well-kept secret because nobody has told me anything.
0: (laughs) Very good. Well, Miles, go ahead. I know you have some questions for uh, Mr. Mack here. So we want to talk about your new book, but I
1: wanted to get also your opinion of the new Star Trek, uh, the live action that we've gotten over the last four years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are you enjoying what we've seen so far?
2: Yeah, I've enjoyed much of it. Uh, I'm impressed at the range uh, of styles and uh, approaches to Star Trek that we were able to see out of one production company, that they have been able to assemble creative teams that have such different visions and different takes on what Star Trek is and how to interpret it, uh, both from a production design and aesthetic standpoint, but also from a storytelling standpoint, mood, Uh, style, tempo. You've got lower decks for comedy if we want to include the animated guys. Plus I had a great time working as a consultant on Prodigy and I've been very uh, proud of the way that that show has come together and is finding its feet and its audience at this time. Uh, And I particularly love Strange New Worlds. I'm a big fan of that, and I'm deeply envious of John Jackson Miller for getting the first official tie-in novel on Strange New Worlds. I uh, I wish it had been me, but it
0: was... <laughs> Little professional jealousy there. Going eh, you know, it happens. It you does. Know, he keeps,
2: keeps scooping me for awards and scooping me for the good yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, He He's a he's a he's a, good,
2: he's a he's a good guy.
0: Oh, I know. I know you guys are such a strong network of writers that you kind of, when someone gets something, you're like really supportive of that.
1: So, all right. So. I was enjoying Prodigy just before we uh, did this interview. So, I'm, I'm happy to you know that you, you know, you're, 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 uh, contributing consulting on it. I, I i love prodigy yeah i'm a big fan mm-hmm. especially yeah. that, that episode they did where he's on the holodeck and they bring back our, our heroes from the past mm-hmm. um I, I was almost in tears watching that episode
2: it was uh, there was a lot of good stuff going on there
1: yeah so yeah. by asking this question i'm dating myself but i've been enjoying uh, star trek novels fairly consistently for over 30 years I enjoyed the Vanguard novels. Is Har- This is an opportunity to talk about Harm's Way. Is Harm's Way kind of going back to the beginning of Vanguard? No, it's
2: actually in the middle. Okay. Uh, the events of my new novel, Star Trek, the original series, Harm's Way, take place in July of 2266. That would put it at roughly early season two of the original series, about maybe a month after the events of Amok Time when Spock goes home and gets betrayed by T'Pring on Vulcan, and about a week after the events of the episode The Doomsday Machine, where they fight the giant flying space burrito, and uh, Matt Decker uh, and the Constellation are lost in action. Uh, In terms of where it falls in the continuity of the Star Trek Vanguard saga, these events fall around the middle of Book 5, Precipice, Uh, which spanned an entire year. So these events, which transpire over just a a few days in July of 2266, would fall roughly right around the middle of Book 5 of Vanguard. And so it ties into a lot of ongoing uh, narratives that were in play in Vanguard at that time. But because I know not everyone has read Vanguard, I tried to make sure that anything you need to know to follow the story Is in the book. Like, I don't expect readers to have read all eight previous Vanguard books before they read this. Uh, I know that every book has the potential to be someone's first exposure. So I try to make sure that if there's something you need to know to understand the story, I give it to you on the page. Right, right.
0: And that makes sense. I mean, when did Vanguard, when did the first Vanguard books come out?
2: The first Vanguard novel, Harbinger, was published in the uh, summer, I believe, July of 2005. And uh, we pretty much had one out each year after that uh, until 2012. There were a total of eight books, including uh, an anthology volume called Declassified, which contained four novellas, one each by myself, Dayton Ward, Kevin Delmore, And Marco Palmieri, who was the editor with whom I originally developed and created Vanguard. Uh, Then there was also an e-book wrap-up, sort of, you know, an unofficial – well, no, it's not unofficial. It's official. Uh, It's an e-book novella by Dayton Ward called In Tempest's Wake. uh, And that's sort of a, you know, a postscript, uh, you know, an afterword to the series, looking back on it. So. There's a total of eight books plus one ebook, and if you wanted to be a real completist, a couple of the SCE ebooks uh, have characters that later reappeared in Vanguard. So uh, those could be considered, I guess, um, you know, one of one of them, distant early warning, which is Star Trek SCE novella number sixty four. That could be considered. A uh, a prelude, know, a pre a prequel, uh, you know, installment to right. the Vanguard series.
0: But as you're saying, I mean, that's we're talking 17 years ago, right? The first novel came out, and you're not expecting oh, yeah. you're not expecting, as you said, you're not expecting your readers. Uh, you can't read this novel till you read all eight. You
2: know, oh, no, no, no. I yeah, would yeah, never sorry. write a book that way because that's just that's ridiculous. <laughs> yes, yeah, that, that, that's it. a form of literary gatekeeping to yeah. which I do not subscribe. <laughs> Uh, but you're right, I mean book one came out seventeen years ago that's a that's a long ways back and although the books were critically acclaimed, they were critical darlings uh you know they they weren't exactly uh barn burners in terms of the bestseller list, so right. they were a niche thing they tend to be very much beloved by those who enjoyed them and it was Creatively, it was a high point for me, and I think also for Dayton and Kevin. And I know its editor Marco Palmieri continues to be proud of the work that we did. Um, there was a sort of a special lightning in a bottle magic to the Vanguard series. So, uh, when you know, when I was sort of pitching, you know, to the editors of the Star Trek book line about a year ago, uh, begging for work so that I could keep the lights on. Uh, Ed Schlesinger, who is you know the managing editor of the Star Trek books line at Gallery and Simon & Schuster, he specifically asked me to write an original series novel that would be a crossover with Vanguard because apparently Vanguard uh, continues to have pretty decent – ongoing sales in ebook format people continue to discover the series through word of mouth Uh, and because it has developed sort of a following and people uh, continue to find it and be interested in it uh, he thought it would be fun to sort of tap into that market of vanguard fans who don't normally pick up original series books uh, as well as sort of trying to get fans of original series who don't normally pick up vanguard books and try to get them to overlap a little bit more So he specifically asked me to write a story that would cross over. And that was why I went through the continuity of both Vanguard and the original series, looking for a spot somewhere in both where I could sneak in a whole new story uh, without messing up anything about the narrative of either one.
0: Got it.
1: Got it. And it'll be fun for readers to go back to uh, Vanguard again.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Jump too.
2: I mean, just because it does answer a question that a lot of readers had about book five, which spends most of its time focusing on a small handful of characters and some characters who had been prominent in previous books, just sort of, well, they drop off the map. I mean, they just, it's like they're not there. And they were, a lot of people say, well, were these people not doing anything? I'm like, no, they were just, they were off having side adventures and doing other stuff. We just didn't hear about it. Well, now's the chance to hear about it. Here is one of those little adventures that you know could have been and now is.
0: Right. Awesome.
1: So what is the best way for listeners to get themselves a copy of in harm's way? Uh,
2: just as long as you buy it new from a retailer. I don't care what format you buy it yeah. in. It's all the same to me. Right. Uh, it's just important you not pirate it. If you want to take it out from your local library, they pay for their copies and they pay for the privilege of, you know, loaning copies out. So I don't mind if you want to – if you're cash strapped, try and get it from your local library. Ask them to order a copy for their local system. I'm uh, totally cool with that. Um, but beyond that, yeah, just buy it new. Uh, buy it in trade paperback, buy it in ebook, or buy it in digital audiobook recorded by Robert Petkoff. Uh, who is sort of a veteran of the Star Trek books, the audio books. And I heard a sample he did uh, for the book where he did a promotional sample reading the front sales page, which is like that little blurb they pull out and put in the front of the book. Uh, And he did just a wonderful job with that. And, you know, capturing the voices and the tenor and just the mood of the piece. Uh, He understands instinctively where the jokes are and how to make sure they land uh, so, you know, if you're an audiobook fan, uh, definitely consider picking up the digital audiobook.
0: Well, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, here we are heading into the holiday season, and, you know, this is a lovely up, stocking stuffer. It is. I mean, seriously, uh, for the Star Trek fans in your life, right? A perfect gift for a stocking stuffer to wrap it under the tree. December 13th, correct? That's when it drops? December
2: 13th is when the book will be officially released on uh, retailers like Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble. However, uh, it's possible at this point, now that we're actually into December, you may start finding copies in the wild ahead of that actual deadline. So if you were to start haunting the science fiction section of your local uh, brick-and-mortar bookstore, especially if it's like a, a big retail chain like a Barnes & Noble – you might start seeing copies appear over the next week or two before the official drop date.
0: I got it. So it's a soft drop date, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) it's
2: Not a hard embargo. It's not like, you know, a new Harry Potter novel or something. Right, right,
0: right. At midnight. Uh, No, but
2: uh, you know, (laughs) the, but this, you know, this, it does make a good gift because it's got a really kind of a classy texture to it. Like I got my author's copies uh, a week or two ago and I was really surprised. I took them out and the white text on the cover that says star Trek and harm's way. And my name, it has a quality that they call a stamp where it's raised. Like they basically have used a, a stamping press on the cover during the production process to make those letters stand up uh, and be a little bit raised from the rest of the cover. So that as you run your hand across them, you can feel the texture of those letters And it just, it's very classy. It's very, uh, you know, very sort of this is special sort of thing. So it, it it feels nice. It looks nice. It's a beautiful piece of art. Um, And uh, so, yeah, it, and for that respect, it'll just look great under the tree and look great in a stocking.
0: Awesome. And who did, who did the artwork for the cover?
2: Uh, It was a composite put together from a number of different wireframes we had available and some approved CBS. licensing shots of leonard nimoy that had prior uh you know sort of perpetual approval i did a couple of photoshop mock-ups sort of show the idea and then simon and sister came back to me with their first pass and then i gave some notes and uh then they revised it again and we finally settled like around the second revision everybody was happy and uh but, yeah, it's essentially, you know, it's a Photoshop, but I think a lot of the work was done by the in-house team as Simon & Chester.
0: Got it. I was going to actually follow-up question was going to be how much say you have in the cover, but it appears that you have a, at least a lot of voice in this cover. Well,
2: I, I tend to be a pain in the ass about it. I think, <laughs> you know, they I don't think the art department particularly likes it, but they've learned <laughs> it's easier to just hear me out and then maybe, you know, throw me a bone and just to shut me up. Uh, I've been doing this now with Star Trek for about 20 years. At the outset, I didn't really get a lot of input. My editors might ask me, you know, who are the most important characters? Who should we think about featuring on the cover? But in terms of actual design, uh, you know, the actual physical design of the covers and contributing comps and layout ideas, I didn't start doing that until after Destiny. But once Destiny hit and kind of took off and became this sort of runaway hit, um, I suddenly had a lot more political capital to spend, uh, you might say, uh, than I did before. And I decided to use it by meddling in a little bit of my covers.
0: (laughs) Oh, very cool. Very cool. That's awesome. Good. Well, um, look forward to seeing the cover. I imagine you can see that when you pre-order. That's online. So yeah, you can
2: see it, but I mean, you don't get the. You don't realize that the type has that raised. Oh, quality. I
0: know. There's nothing like holding the oh, physical. It's
2: such a wonderful sensation when you pick it up and you just you feel the text. <laughs> <laughs> It's really classic.
0: It's a tactile experience. It is. It is a tactile experience. Yeah. Oh, that's 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 awesome. So I know we talked about this earlier. You said that there's not a lot of Star Trek coming down the pike. But as, as you look back through the history of you writing Star Trek, have you found a particular franchise, like a branch of Star Trek that you really enjoy writing in maybe above others? Is it the original Uh, series, or...? Well, it was Vanguard
2: for me. I mean, Vanguard was far and away my favorite. Um, As far as, you know, a favorite among the other canon series, not really. I enjoyed all of them to one degree or another. I think I liked, you know, there was some stuff I got to do for Julian Bashir in the DS9 stuff under the Section 31 label. Mm. I liked writing the Next Generation characters in that post-nemesis period but also in the pre-nemesis period uh for uh you know the first novels i wrote for star trek the first full-length novels were part of a nine book miniseries that had the umbrella title of a time two and my two books for that were a time to kill and a time to heal uh and those were set during the year in the lives of the next gen characters immediately before the events of the movie Star Trek Nemesis. And the point of the mini series of books was to sort of explain why these characters, all of a sudden, in Nemesis, suddenly all seem to be uprooting their lives, going in different directions, altering their careers. Uh, you know, why Riker has finally accepted command. Why is Worf back from, you know, being an ambassador? Why is he back in uniform? Uh, all this sort of stuff. Like, you know, what are the various factors in play that cause everybody's lives to just sort of get uprooted? Um, so that was fun. Um, but I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I found something to enjoy about all of them. I, I enjoyed writing my discovery book, uh, even though a lot of it sort of got slightly trampled on by season two continuity. Uh, there was no way to know that when I was writing it. Uh, you know, I did what they told me to do, and you know, then they trampled on it. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I just I try to enjoy each project on its own merits and uh, just you know find something good about each one.
0: Absolutely. Awesome. Very I good.
1: loved the uh, Coda novels. Oh, but it was bittersweet to, to read them. Uh, that was the idea. Yeah, uh, but and, and very effective, too. Um, I, I, I liked that for, for you and your fellow authors, you, you, know, you had a chance to do what Star Wars couldn't do. I mean, when Star Wars was bought by Disney, it's just like, yep. Uh, yeah, all, all those books that were, you know, Put out, uh, uh, they 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 never happened. I mean, maybe it's a little cruel to say they never happened, but they were not going to, you know.
0: Well, they're legacy books now. They're the uh, yeah.
2: They they, they essentially know. sort of took them from having been semi-canonical, is what they told their fans. To suddenly they were non-canonical, uh, mm-hmm. and I think the part of the distaste that that left, the bad taste that that left, and the mouths of fans, figuratively speaking, was that you know they had been told one thing for so long and they had invested the time and the money in the Star Wars books based on that assurance. And then that key detail was just thrown out willy-nilly. Uh and so I think the fact that the Star Trek books, you know, and Star Trek as a franchise had always made clear the books are official in that they are licensed and approved But they are not canon. They have never been canon. We've never claimed they were canon. We have always said and been very clear up front that at any time, new canon Star Trek can and frequently does overwrite our artistic efforts in the books. And we knew the job was dangerous when we took it. But we've always been very upfront with the fans. We've always been very clear. No, they're not canon, and we don't claim they are. Uh, That said, a lot of fans – had taken this 20 year creative journey with us, you know, through 20 years of Star Trek novels by dozens of different authors and several different editors spanning years and years of the lives of these characters. And we started altering the status quo of the Star Trek universe and making major creative expansions and going into the, you know, the histories of the Andorians and the deep history of the Tholians and then we have Destiny and the Borg, and then we have all the political fallout from that. And then we have the Section Thirty-One novels and blah blah blah. And it was a long journey, and it was truly epic. And then we suddenly realized once Picard came down the pike, and we started seeing the, you know, the the, the first notes coming out of the writers' room, going through licensing, and we were just like, "Yeah, we're screwed. There is no way we can." even possibly retcon what we are doing to make it compatible with what they are doing. They are so far afield from where we are. There's no way for us to course correct back to that. And they're like filling in like backstory years before the stuff that we're doing. And we're like, well, there's just nothing left we can do now. Uh, so that was how CODA came about was the need to sort of course correct. We said, essentially there, there were, there were, just two ways really to go one was simply surrender stop producing the books that we'd been producing with no explanation no in-story explanation anyway and just let them you know taper off uh and the other was to find some way to bring them to a definitive end in some manner that addresses the discontinuity created by picard And we chose the latter, which was a dangerous choice because, frankly, no matter what we did, no matter what we chose, somebody was going to be unhappy with us. If we had simply abandoned the books, leaving it to, you could imagine they go on forever in an alternate timeline, but we're not going to say that or whatever. Well, then they say we're all cop outs and, you know, we're chickens and, you know, we we didn't have the guts to bring them a proper closure and you didn't, we owe them that. So they'd have been angry if we did that. And then we went the way we went, choosing to put a capstone on it, a definitive ending, not just a, another adventure where they ride off into the sunset. And if we had done that, they'd have been angry because they would have said, well, you promised us closure, and then you gave us riding off into the sunset. So there's no change in the status quo, and none of this means anything, just, you know, yada, yada, yada. So they would have been upset if we had done that. And then we did what we did, and then they're upset that we did that. So we were never going to win. There was no <laughs> winning here. <laughs> there was no solution, no approach, no story we could have told that wasn't going to have at least a decent cross-section of our long-time readers angry because, well, something they loved is coming to an end. Something they love is dying, and that's a hard thing to deal with, whether you're the writer or the reader, and you're not going to be happy about it. I don't expect them to be happy about it. Um, the only thing I can say is that you know, with Coda, we wanted to do something different, something a little bit more daring, swinging for the fences. And so what we wrote essentially was a trilogy that at its heart is about finding meaning in an otherwise meaningless universe, finding a way to resist the argument of nihilism, that nothing matters, that everything is pointless, that you might as well just surrender. And instead finding a way to say, you know, what is the most heroic way to go out? If there's some way that you can make your death count, even if you're saving people who will never know that you saved them, who will never know who you were, who will never know what you sacrificed. Isn't that the most noble thing of all? Isn't that the most Star Trek thing of all to rage against the dying of the light, to give yourself for a cause for an ideal, for a belief, you know, out of love, out of duty, whatever it is that motivates you, but to Give that final sacrifice, that last full measure of everything for someone who will never even know. But you know. You go down swinging. You go down fighting. You don't give up. You fight to the last breath, to the last second. And that's what code is about. It's about finding meaning. It's about making your own meaning. It's about resisting nihilism. It's about basically, you know, it's the old poem. You know, it's rage against the dying of the light
0: right
2: yeah
1: well i mean i I, you 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 treat it as an opportunity to tell some some great stories and uh uh, i mean for me last year we 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 did a year end where with high high, you know highlights in science fiction and for me that was a highlight because of uh the way the way the way you and your fellow authors uh wrapped up that storyline i thought it was just very inspiring thank you yeah absolutely
0: So now if uh, listeners want to stay in touch with the going on of David Mack, we talked a lot about Star Trek tonight. You also have a lot of your own original work that has come out in the past, and I assume that you have not stopped doing.
2: I have ideas. Uh, I haven't written any new original novels in a while. The last one was The Shadow Commission, which came out in August of 2020. Uh unfortunately, that sort of came and went uh, with very little fanfare because it happened to come out as the pandemic was sweeping through the Western <laughs> world and most of the rest of the planet. My book sales got crushed along with a lot of other people's. And so that book, even though I was very proud of the way it came out and I was very uh, happy with the narrative choices that my editor and I made – not a lot of people saw it, yeah. and because that book just sort of died on the vine, uh, the publisher decided not to continue the series. I had ideas for books four and five, and I wanted to continue the Dark Art series, but at the end of the day, the bottom line was Tor did not agree, and if you know the original publisher isn't going to continue it, it's very difficult to get a second publisher to step in. And publish sequels to right. books that are owned by another publisher. Right, uh, it's not in their business interest to do so. So usually, once the original publisher sort of drops the hammer, a series is done. So mm-hmm. I've uh, I went through my sort of mourning period for Dark Arts, my baby. Uh, had <laughs> to realize it was over. Yeah. Uh, I had to let it go. And I've been ruminating on new ideas since then. I've done a bit of short fiction, a lot of short fiction. And, of course, in the interim, I think, obviously, I wrote Coda, uh, which took a lot of time and a lot of prep. And then since then, Harm's Way.
0: Right.
2: And the one thing I'll say is that for folks who maybe read, let's say, uh, Shadow Commission or my final volume in the Coda trilogy, and are starting to think, wow, this is one depressing dude. <laughs> uh, you know, th- this dude writes a you know a tearjerker, but damn you know how much more of this can I take? Uh, I'll just tell you, Harm's Way is not that at all. Harm's Way is a romp. Harm's Way is the most fun I've had writing a Star Trek novel in years. It is high velocity fun. It is high velocity snark and sarcasm because I've got the sort of sharp witted. Uh, sarcastic folks of Vanguard mixing it up with the dry sarcasm of the original series enterprise crew. You've got Klingons involved. You've got, you know, the Shaddai, you've got monsters, you've got super science, you've got landing parties, duking it out on a planet while you've got a battle of wits going on between captains in orbit. Uh, and it's really just fun. The whole point of it is it's supposed to be an adventure uh, it should feel big, It's it feels fast, and it's just a, a good time. And it's got an ending where you don't have to, you know, keep a, a, a huge box of Kleenex on standby. I mean, I wrote it to, you know, big, expansive, uh, exciting action music, so it should have that kind of feel. So if you were a little bummed out by Coda, fear not. Harm's awesome. Way is there to be a fun ride.
0: Good. Awesome. So if people want to find out more keep up with you and the stuff that you are writing, and obviously find out more news about Harm's Way and maybe more to pick it up. Is there a site that you direct them to? That you have? Do you have your own personal site that we can oh, direct them yeah. to?
2: Yeah, of course. Yeah, you gotta have
0: your own site these days, right?
2: My <laughs> site, uh, which I've had for many, many years, is pro. That's david mac m a c k. And that's my official website. It's got my bio. It's got my complete bibliography. uh, It's got links to my social media. If you go to, uh, you know, the about page or the press kit page, you'll see links to all my different types of social media, Uh, you know, Mastodon account, Hive, uh, co-host, counter social, Twitter, Facebook, Amazon author page, you name it. If I got it, it's on there. So from my website, you can find out cool information about all my books. I sometimes, uh, you know, will post additional cool stuff about them, text-free art from the development process or, uh, musical playlist, you know, to sort of, you know, get you in the mood for reading a certain book. If you want to read any of my past interviews or listen to past podcast interviews, I have links to all of those on my interview page in the about section. So yeah, David is the place to go. And Basically, I will always announce new stuff as soon as I can on social media, but usually when I'm announcing it on social media, I've already put it up on my website. So when I have new books coming down the pipeline, they go on the front page as soon as I am able to announce them. As soon as I'm allowed to talk about it, I put it on my site.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, David, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with us in the diner tonight. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
2: And David, I'm looking, really looking forward to uh, your book. I, I hope you enjoy it, and uh, you know, if you enjoy it, uh, recommend it to other fans, especially fans of
0: the original series. Absolutely. Yeah. And don't forget to give it, you know, thumbs up, a uh, five star ratings if you do love it. Oh yeah. and If you hate do, it. remember
2: to review it on uh, on Amazon, especially. Yeah, you know, help, Amazon uh, especially.
0: Boost that algorithm, folks. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, again, Christmas is coming up, so perfect gift. Lovely just gift for the Trek fan in your life, especially And, uh, if they and, like that and it's paperback. It's uh, it's in paperback, hardback too.
2: It's a uh, no. Uh, hardcover is only for things like Strange New Worlds and Picard right now.
0: Ah, uh, got it. Uh, so this it's, is going
2: to be out in a nice trade paperback, though, with like I said, that nice stamp quality on the cover. So we got a beautiful trade paperback edition, and it's also going to be out as an ebook and as a digital audio book read by Robert
0: Petkoff. Fantastic.